You're listening to the Driven by Design Awards Wrap. I'm Mark Bergen, the founder of Driven by Design, and joining me today is Tim Brom. Tim. Hi, Mark. How's it going? Not bad. Now, Tim, I know you're an amazing designer uh, working for Strong Arm Tech, mm-hmm. but help me out. Tell me what's your day as you're working as a designer? Sure. So, typical day as a designer, uh, it's a lot about the, the people for us at Strong Arm. So, we're always uh, focused on the human first, and uh, we refer to uh, the people that we work with as industrial athletes. So strong arm designs uh, exoskeletons, and we provide those to people who need it uh, in the industrial workforce. Uh, and those people are the industrial athletes that we work with every day. So help give a picture to the listener here. You've you've got these industrial athletes, mm-hmm. people who are doing um, physical activity in a workplace, and if they don't do things right, what happens to them in the long term? Yeah, so the industrial athletes, if they don't take care of themselves and they don't do their work properly, sometimes they can get injured and oftentimes that injury is a long-term injury. It's not always something that happens right in the moment. It could be a repetitive motion that causes a long-term injury over time. So we're talking about workplace injuries, musculoskeletal injuries, which generally are soft tissue, which are the ones that are the hardest to go repair. Yeah, so we, we actually uh, deal mostly with the lower back injuries as well. Those are uh, our primary focus with the exoskeletons that we design. So we're here at uh, the new lab down in Navy Yards in Brooklyn. How long has uh, Strong Arm Tech been here? Uh, Strong Arm has been uh, here for about a year now in, in new lab. Um, The company has been around for about five years now, and I've been with them for about two. Uh, So we've actually been in the Brooklyn Navy Yard for for, for pretty much the whole two years I've been here. Uh, We were across the street in the new lab beta center, but now we've got this big, beautiful space uh, that we can utilize all the equipment and uh, everything we need to prototype and create uh, on a daily basis. Now, our theme for this episode of the podcast is made for people. Mm -hmm. And the reason that we focused in on that, particularly with yourselves, is everything that you do is really important for people. Exactly. It's not just about style. It's actually, this has actually been made for people to go actually help them in, as a life benefit. Mm-hmm. And the projects that we've got today all fit into that space of how do they go help people? And there's even one of the projects that we've got here You'd say it doesn't actually have so much a um, uh, assistance or a curative side. It's also got that it's helping people from how they uh, emotionally feel about themselves. So, so we're going to have a look at some projects which give people the capacity to open up new opportunities in life because they may have a diminished um, uh, scope in their life due to injury. Also, projects that turn around and actually just help them also make themselves feel good and be present. So the first project we're getting into here is called Enable, uh, which is, uh, Enable is a 3D printing project, but this was a project which was designed as open source to help people who were at varying parts of the socioeconomic um, spectrum to go have 3D printed prostheses, particularly for juveniles and adolescents. Have you had any, you know, have you printed some parts off in the lab? Have you been involved with the project yourself? Enable's an interesting one because uh, we actually have a personal connection to the guy who started it, John Scholl. Uh, he's an RIT professor. Uh, both myself and our CEO, Sean Peterson, went to RIT. So we, we know John closely. Uh, we've, we've worked with him. He's actually been in our studio a few times for some brainstorming sessions. And we haven't... Uh, 
I know that Sean has done a little bit of work with him. I personally haven't done a whole lot of work with John on, on Enable, but in terms of 3D printing, we do that all the time. You know, with the development of our, our exoskeletons, we, you know, the V22, 22 iterations. Uh, so we have <clears throat> essentially uh, multiple prototypes that we bring to the clients and, and use with them. Uh, so in terms of Enable, I think it's, it's a really interesting product because they're able to bring these products to the people directly and to the people who need it most and also print devices that can be used on a personal basis, personalized basis, rather than something that's you know, made for, for the masses. So my life could have been so much easier if I had have actually come and spoken to you about who was involved with this project. Being an open source project, mm -hmm. when we were looking at it as an awards nominee, we were having difficulty finding the, or the origin of it because we found out just about every big corporate had some enable project that they were going and doing. Right. Being open source, all of a sudden it meant that lots of people could go use this as a corporate social responsibility program. It might have been a team building program. It may have been a way that they were showing how innovation would change their company and change their customer's life. Right. And it took us quite a long time. I think it was about three months to go hunt down who were the people behind this? And I think it was just diligent research as far as we found an article and John turned up there and we go, okay, now we have to find John. If I had known that, I would have come straight here to, to Navy right. Yards and you guys could have helped me out. Yeah, uh, and it's, it's really interesting that not only the fact that, you know, we know this guy directly, um, but that it's so widespread and that uh, they're touching on so many countries and so many different conditions that... Uh, you know, sometimes the 3D printing works, but other times they're using materials that are available to the region that they, they need. Yeah, and I, so I think the, the Enable project there, which was about 3D printing of hand, hand and wrist prostheses, has now extended across into, last time I was speaking to John, it was how do we make crutches for people in developing nations? And it was using very simple plumbing interfaces, you know, right angle T's right. to turn around and work out that's how you go and actually you make the crutch uh, connected to go under the arm. Really like the work that John's doing and I think anybody, I think it's enable.org, we'll have the link up on the site so people can go find it. But if you can support them by giving them millions of dollars, I'm sure they'd love that. If you can support them in, in smaller ways, help spread the word, that's the important thing for the team at Enable. We're now going to head across to now another project here, um, which is the myofetal heart rate monitor. Um, I, I found this project really interesting when we first started to go look at it because, um, as you know, as an industrial designer, working out how to keep grime and, uh, and dirt out of an electronic good, which is uh, worn close to the body, right. is a pretty hard thing. Yep, it certainly is. <laughs> and, and the challenge here is that you've got this, which it's been worn 24-7, mm -hmm. it's right next to the body, and... You know, the team who are, the team who have come up with it had to go and work out how to go deal with some of those practicalities. Mm -hmm. And you know, there's you could go down the path of saying how do you get the highest IP rating so that it's impervious to everything, that it can disassemble easily so that you can then clean it and the O-ring comes off so that you can then put that in an autoclave. Right. Or if you're in the developing world, you're probably going to put a plastic bag around it, which is kind of how we go handle sterilization in theatres anyway. Right. The important thing isn't the grime factor, it's actually how do you go get the heart rate monitoring for the baby. Yeah, and I think, I think that's the thing about design is that sometimes it's the simple solutions that are the most elegant and not, not even, um, you know, getting into uh, super complex materials or, or things like that. Yeah, and 
And so this, is, this opens up a whole range of baby monitoring issues or capacities that, that weren't available for the developing world and also remote, remote communities. And, and sometimes those remote communities aren't necessarily in what we might think of developing economies or third world economies. They can be remote communities for people who have decided for lifestyle to go live on a tropical island somewhere. Mm. And, uh, and there's a similar enablement that's here. Right. Um, a brilliant project and shows that understanding the particular cohort, the particular user need, this isn't made for all women in all stages of their life. It's made for women who are pregnant and, more importantly, people who need fetal heart rate monitoring, and not everybody needs that. Right. So it gives a really good reference for the commissioners and uh, the people who are looking at new product opportunities. Just keep things quite focused. You know, don't try to be everything to everybody. You're probably going to be better to be you know, something really important to a smaller group of people than you are trying to be everything to everybody. Our next project we're going to look at, the gyro glove. Um, you play with gyroscopes at any stage? Uh, I can't say that I have, Mark. <laughs> Haven't you? Oh, no. look, I, 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 I can go back. The first time I saw a gyroscope as a kid, and it was just a small little experimental gyroscope, and I went and I saw that, and this idea that it wouldn't fall over, and, I, and it blew my mind. Yeah. And to see somebody come up here with a sketch, which is a pretty rudimentary glove with a gyroscope sitting on the top, but then connect that and say, maybe if somebody's got Parkinson's and they have a tremor, putting a gyroscope in there can give them more stability by actually working that out. Now, what I love about the design process here is that concept, it's a proposition that's in there, mm -hmm. and then it has to go through that whole design research, which is, well, what is the real need? Right. Can we make something which is going to um, efficiently address that need? And is it something that you'd want to go and wear? Mm -hmm. and what, I, what I love about this too is what we're looking at on the screen here is just someone you know drew a glove with a gyroscope on top of it you know the sketch is so simple but it's like so obvious that that's you know that's the result yeah I think that's what I call telegraphing this is what it is but that's what you need you don't need something to be super beautiful you know it just gets the point across this is what we're going to do and, and uh, then it accumulates into a product yeah and as we see with a lot of this med tech it's done in reasonably small studios, small interventions, very underfunded, mm -hmm. but it's also for a small cohort. And uh, there's one CEO that I, that I know for a non-for-profit that they, they have hack days where they take wheelchairs mm -hmm. for people who, have, um, who need them, or mobility devices as they like to go call them, and most of the wheelchairs have knobs on top of them. And knobs are not the way that the person who is using the wheelchair can actually form their hand. Right. So they then get 3D printing people in, they then furnish up something that they can grip, mm -hmm. and then they go off into a MakerBot and they go and they print them the thing that they were able to hold in their hand as the knob for their wheelchair. Yeah. And they're going, oh gosh, is it that simple? Right. And all of a sudden you've gone from somebody who has relatively bad mobility and maneuverability into somebody who now has you know, fantastic control. Right. And all you need is that exploration to get there. You know? That's it. So I think you know, that's really important that we try to go and get people to think about, you can do these smaller interventions which might have a substantial impact. Mm -hmm. You may not sell 10 million of these, but you will have a, a large impact. And I suppose there's that balance between 
is the work that you're doing actually creating impact mm -hmm. or is it just creating a financial return? And I think a lot of people need to explore both because there's no doubt that we need to work out how to go create financial return. Right. But we also need to work out how to get people feel fulfilled that they're, they're creating impact. The two happen together, awesome, but in most cases it doesn't. So let's go a little bit further in here into, into the ultimate wheelchair here, which, um, uh, which is from the team at Layer. Um, I really like Benjamin Herbert's work that he does as far as an industrial designer. Um, he, I think he's kind of like the Moby of industrial design. You know, it's like he seems to know how to these, use these tools that everyone else does, but what he produces just is phenomenal. beautiful. Yeah. You know, it, it, there, every radius that's in this is kind of an industrial designer's, you know, fantasy. It's like, how did he get the time to go do this? Benjamin's got a really good eye at, at what is elegant and graceful. But he's also worked out here, how do you go 3D print the entire wheelchair and also the monocoque that the person's going to sit in. How do you look at that? And years ago, I, I worked with people who in disabilities and we, were, we found that there was this interesting socioeconomic vector for people who were in wheelchairs. Mm -hmm. And there were people in wheelchairs who had, say, an acquired injury and they had an acquired injury that had to do with road trauma. And the people who had an acquired injury with road trauma were extremely well funded. Mm. And the people who had a, a birth um, disability rather than acquired disability, that they turned around and they had no socioeconomic power, whereas oh, the people who actually had had an acquired injury because of an insurance payout, they had a lot of socioeconomic mobility. Oh, I see. Yeah. So that's important to go get that insight about there isn't this linear... A wheelchair is a wheelchair. Right. Yes, it's got wheels and it moves people, but there's going to be some people who have high means mm -hmm. and people who have low means. Yep. I think Benjamin's made a product here which is going to definitely go for those people who come from acquired injuries. Right. Um, road trauma is one of them. I know that um, Veterans Affairs is another area where that would probably fit. Um, this may not be something for everybody, but it is an awesome chair. And I wouldn't be surprised to see at the next Olympics that there's a whole range of the British Olympic team mm -hmm. uh, at the Paralympics uh, getting around in these sorts of chairs. It is gorgeous. I think what's great about the chair, the 3D printed aspect of the chair, is that it, it's fitted to the person who's sitting in it. And um, I know we, we talked briefly about this, but I think there are different ways we can do that for each, each level of, uh, of the socio socioeconomic platform in terms of who has what access to what and with a 3d printed chair you know the the people who have the means to have that uh that's perfect you know it fits them how they need it it's like a a, a nicely fitted um suit or something like that on the other hand you know someone who may not have access to those means has a, a more simple you know traditional wheelchair something as simple as a cushion or, or something to lev uh, you know leverage where their position is within the chair may be a better solution for them to have that same level of comfortability. And so it's working out, you know, what's going to be the right solution for the individual and, uh, right. and knowing people who have had lifelong uh, medical needs, the body seems to change. About, no, it seems like it's about every six weeks. Something mm -hmm. that you had as a regime then needs to be altered. And it's almost like people have a toolkit, which is, uh, in the case of the cushions, I've got five cushions. Cause yeah, exactly. When I, uh, this pressure point goes, the next pressure point comes in. And so I think that that's really important that we actually think about that it's not a static. Human, right, that's human bodies change all the time. Exactly. Tim, 
you've um, got a new platform that's coming out from Strongarm, which I think is called Fuse. Is that right? That's correct. And uh, and you told me that Fuse has to go do with monitoring how people need interventions or whether they need to go have an exoskeleton. Tell me a bit more about it because you're the expert and I'm just like, uh, I'm the guy sure. in the stand who's just observing. <laughs> yeah, sure. So we've started creating a device called the Fuse Sensor and the Fuse Risk Management Platform. Uh, so the sensor is an on-body device that you wear over your ribs and the industrial athletes are wearing this throughout their workday. And essentially what it does is it collects and monitors body movements and analyzes how safe they are throughout their day. So if, they, if you're analyzing those body movements, uh, then you're able to go normalize that data, I'd imagine. You're able mm -hmm. to work out, is there somebody who is next week going to actually have a back injury because they are just so bad in what they're doing? Exactly. Which is so no different than, than what you uh, see happening with elite athletes, which is that they're having you know, kinetic monitoring to go work out how to go improve their performance. So I, I really like that idea that you're getting in to say, let's actually use the quantized self mm -hmm. to help actually work out who needs what sort of correction, what sort of devices. And uh, the sensors um, uh, that you're focusing on are around lower back injury. That's correct. Yeah, fantastic. So um, uh, is that in market at the moment or are you close to launching that? Uh, we've, we've launched. Um, we uh, are business to business or B2B model. So, um, you know, we work closely with businesses and, and uh, I think the main idea here is just being able to uh, precisely deploy uh, safety interventions. And, and uh, in this case, we also have the exoskeletons that we, uh, for some of those deployments, depending on who needs them, we, we deploy to those people. Awesome. Fantastic. So um, the next project we're going to go look at here is um, the uh, Firefly T2. This project here was uh, done by the team Acumen, and I, I asked them what was the T1, and the founder of Acumen looked very confused. I said, well, it's called T2. <laughs> so um, a T2, there was a T1, but I think a little bit like, you've got a V22, but that was your first product because it was how many prototypes or how many ideas. Exactly, 22. I think variations. that's the same here for the Firefly T2. Um, this project here, it. It talks about athletes and it's about um, helping them with circulation and it's about um, making sure that they can go faster right. in there. But there's also another side of it, which is I'm somebody who I've got varicose veins. And so that means that whoever designed my legs didn't do a very good job in mm -hmm. making sure that the veins were going to actually be able to go pump all of that blood up. <laughs> so there's a little bit of pulling blood there. Now, the idea with the Firefly is that I could be wearing that below my knee and mm -hmm. it would help with the peristaltic movement to get that blood up. Right. So that, uh, that means around about 10 o'clock most nights, I get, a, I get a hip which tells me it hasn't had enough circulation uh, of blood and I, I get you know, jiggly, which is <laughs> massively annoying to my partner. But the other side of that is people who have poor circulation diabetes patients, that for them it's actually going to wind up being that they need to have an amputation. Right. And so using something like the Firefly applied in that circumstance means that they may delay their, their need for an amputation by several years. And all of a sudden I've gone, so the product that was originally developed to help athletes go a bit further mm -hmm. is now helping delay somebody when they have to have their leg chopped off. Right. 
And because of part of the way that the FDA and similar approvals work in Europe, there's this little bit of a gap which is in there for elite athletes. Mm. And so the moment you talk about it as um, uh, that it's about sports medicine, you get dispensations that mean that you can go do things. So if anybody is listening and they're saying, why are so many products made for athletes, they're not made for everybody in the community, mm -hmm. it actually has to do with it's a little bit of a hack. You're allowed to do things to athletes that you're not allowed to go do to the rest of the population. Yeah, we actually have kind of the reverse effect with, with the, uh, the flex exoskeleton that we have where we designed it for the mass population, but a lot of people are like, oh, this would be great in the gym for lifting, you know, something like that. So it's kind of, it's kind of like the reverse of what's happening here. So um, I, I think I've shared with the audience before, I was a, a champion weightlifter when I was a, a young guy, mm -hmm. and, I, and I saw the musculoskeletal damage it was doing to me, so I decided right. to stop. Right. But um, I've got a feeling that your exoskeleton Technically, to me, it would feel like cheating. You know, it's yeah, like you, you, if your muscles aren't lifting it, your muscles aren't lifting. Well, yeah? the, the thing with the flex is that it's uh, it doesn't assist you at all. So it's it's more of a posture conformance. So it's it's closer to you know using it uses all of your muscle groups, uh, the major muscle groups, in the way they should be rather than necessarily assisting. Yeah, there was a guy who used to ride um, bicycles, a yellow brand, I can't remember. He, he said he was using all of his own muscles too, but mm -hmm. uh, sometimes assisting has a, has a, has a very varying ideas. And next project we're gonna be look at here is the motive ring. And uh, have you ever worn uh, a Fitbit yourself? I, well, I've had an Apple watch, but not necessarily the band. But yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've experienced monitoring process and you know, having having it connected to an app on your phone and, and kind of the daily look into your life. It's kind of an interesting perspective, to be honest, being able to see see who you are all the time. And Now, I, so I, I did the marathon approach. I, after about 30 days, I understood what my Nike fuel band was telling me. Mm -hmm. And then after 90 days, it's like, well, yeah, I, I've got it. I understand it. Okay. If I'm more active, I'm more healthy. And that was kind of all I was learning from the thing. Mm -hmm. um, I kept wearing it for another, I think 18 months was about where I bailed out, 18 months, yeah, somewhere mm -hmm. around there. Because I was just fascinated, was there going to become a point where it was just increasingly annoying right. or did it do something for me? And I think it actually annoyed my partner more than it annoyed me. Oh, really? Uh, because she saw me gaming the system after a little while. Oh, I see. <laughs> <laughs> I was there shaking my head. Instead of exercising. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> and so, yeah, and she's a scientist, so she yeah. could see me polluting the data set yeah. and was not happy with me at all. So, oh, I can bet. So, but if we go back to one of the other projects that we went and looked at, so we've got things like the gyro glove. Mm -hmm. And the gyro glove needs to know how people are moving or um, using here the, uh, the, the motive ring for somebody who has multiple sclerosis. Mm -hmm. And the fact that you see that the amount of mobility that they've got is decreasing might be an indication that there's an episode or a heightened episode of multiple sclerosis coming on, right. which gives them an indicator to change their dosage rather than being reactive from um, obvious symptoms. Maybe there's less obvious symptoms that they can go look at. Um, having people with Parkinson's disease and having an early capacity to detect twitching mm -hmm. so that they can go into medication alterations and changes. That to me is where this quantized self comes in, not just people who are bragging on social media, I've right. done 4,000 steps a day. And so that to me is a chapter two. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, when we saw Microsoft go bring in Windows, they put Solitaire on. 
Right. And they put solitaire on because people had no idea how to use a mouse or they had no idea what to do with their computer. Mm -hmm. I think we've seen a lot of the, lot of the apps and uh, applications uh, that people have had with their quantized self have really been, we don't really know why this is here. Let's give you something so you feel like you're occupied. And now we're starting to see it becoming more applied. And uh, having a micro um, sensor um, like the Motive is a really good option because for some people, they don't like wearing watches. I'm right. one of them. But I noticed that you've got a very, very proud watch on your hand there. No. But, but, it's, but, <laughs> it's not, but it's not the uh, it's not the Apple Watch. No, not anymore. I actually have stopped, stopped wearing it. I just... Um found that I didn't want to keep monitoring myself every day. So <laughs> I find the self-motivation a little bit more intriguing. So you find the idea of using the watch to tell the time is probably, you've gone back to the classic yeah, exactly. version of Keep it watch. simple, keep it straight, you know, that's, that's the way to go. Okay, so a project that we've got here is, uh, the next one is the BO Play A1, uh, which is a portable uh, Bluetooth speaker. This fits into an interesting space about that made for people. If we, if we look at it objectively, there's JBL speakers out there that are uh, that are about a third the price, and the audio quality is close enough. Right. But there's other people who want, you know, there's comfort mm -hmm. and there's pleasure associated with just the sublimeness of the industrial design that's in here. It's not often that you see something where you just turn around and say, "I wouldn't mind that sitting on my shelf just as an object." I don't know if it has to do anything. But uh, Cecile Manns, who uh, went and designed this for the team at BNO, she has done an incredible job in making something which is just, it's beautiful. Right, it's a super elegant design. And I think that's probably why people are so drawn to it. Um, I mean, it's similar to maybe an example I think of right away is the iPhone, you know, and, and the, the design of the iPhone, you know, aside from all the elements associated with it, but. The design of the iPhone is so elegant, always so beautiful, and people are always so drawn to that device. Um, and you know, you, ha you have perfectly fine other phones that you could buy and use, but it's that, you know, it's that being part of that community and, and having access to that technology. Exactly. And, and actually to ignore that is to go and ignore some of the needs of a portion of the market. Right. So in this case here, you know, uh, I've got my Microsoft Surface here. You've got uh, your, um, MacBook. Your, no, your MacBook. Thank you. Yeah. I almost called it an iMac. That would have been terrible, <laughs> yeah, wouldn't it? You know, like that big yeah. handle on the top. Just carry that thing What around. color would your portable iMac be? Would you go the orange? <laughs> oh, yeah, probably probably bright pink. Okay. So, so the there's a big difference between them. Mm -hmm. One of the things that the, that the uh, MacBook is able to go do, it's that one finger lift to go get the lid up and right. the hinge is just beautiful. Yep. One of the things that I've got is that I've got a button that then detaches the screen and turns it into an I, you know, the equivalent of an iPad versus yep. a notebook. And exactly. And you can't get both. You right. know? You can't and, get and, and so I think it's that thing about understanding what are, what's the need mm -hmm. and then how beautifully is it being produced? Because mm -hmm. if I go look at ballet, and I always reference back to ballet about grace and elegance, ballet has these extreme athletes who are turning around and they're absolutely pooped. They are puffing and panting like nothing, but they're standing there in a pose without looking like they're breathing. Right. They take three steps to the left and they go behind the curtains. They put their hands on their knees and they go, <gasps> <laughs> and yeah. then the curtain call comes back out and they go out again and they're perfectly <laughs> graceful. And, and I think that's what industrial design is that, you know, we have to work out how to go get the execution be so graceful and so right. elegant. Right. 
And it's relentless. Yeah. You need to go do that. So if I go look here at what uh, the BO player has, has delivered, mm -hmm. it's really made that work. But it, from a functional point of view, it may not be necessary from all of its audio functionality. Mm -hmm. But if the functional set includes the emotional relationship that I have, it needs to actually have that uplift that's in there. I think the background of design is so inherently complex and uh, it's, it's delivering that simple solution to the people that's the biggest challenge. You know, and that's, that's what we face every day at Strongarm. It's trying to, trying to deliver something that's easy to understand, super easy to use, um, but everything going on in the background is super detailed and complex. Now, listeners, I, I thought I was going to pull out a project here that there would be no way that Tim knew about it. And uh, this, this project is the Hello series. It's a, it's a, it's a wall light. It's by Katrin uh, Oskarsson. And uh, he's, from, he's from Iceland. Okay. I met him at London Design Festival mm -hmm. uh, last year. Apparently, you've seen his light um, at I've, Wanted Design this year. I have seen it. I believe it, it might have been a couple years ago or last year. I'm not sure. I'm not sure when this actually came out, but I saw it, I saw it at one of the design shows. I think it actually won the show at the time. It was, it's a super elegant, really interactive piece. You know, it's one of those things that you can't walk by without stopping. So what I, what I really like about my chose it to, to be one of the projects that we look at is it's, it's a different form of interface to go and turn the light on and off. Mm -hmm. The idea that you've got this rotating belt, which is also delivering the power, but it's right. also a switch. To me, there's just something really fantastic about that. Right. And if you're making things for people, maybe it's not thinking that everything has you know, a traditional switch on it. Maybe for some people, the right way to have the interface just from their enjoyment is that it's a rotating dimmer like this. Mm -hmm. But for other people, it might be needed because their idea of gripping right. uh, may change. Mm -hmm. And they don't have the dexterity to use a normal, a normal you know, slider interface. Maybe having a band is there. Mm -hmm. um, it is a beautiful project, but it also has that functionality that it uh, has a bathroom mirror in there. Which brings us then to our last project that we're going to look at today, which is from a company in Melbourne. Uh, this project picked up a gold award in the Melbourne Design Awards, and it's from Bright Green, and it's called their Wall Light Range. Now, I must say, Bright Green make amazing products, but the naming of their products may need to be a little bit more exotic. Maybe, yeah. Because I'm sure there's like Wall Rain, wall Light Range 2. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, it's going to be like a Home Alone movie. Where yeah. It'll just keep going up in numbers. This project here is really interesting that they, these guys are experts in LED lights. Mm -hmm. And they're experts in LED lights, but they, they're a company that was founded by a couple of industrial designers. Oh, really? Yeah. And so when you go look at, you know, why are you making light fixtures if you're industrial designers? And then you see, you know, six, eight, ten years down the track and you see the, the devices that they're making. Go, okay, so you That's were limited by the technology to start off with. And now you've mastered the technology and now you're starting to make these beautiful lights, beautiful fixtures mm -hmm. to go on walls. I really liked, again, I seem to have this obsession today talking about the power interface and the switch that's in there. Yep. Um, this is exactly that. The mount is, um, it looks like an old-fashioned stereo socket mm -hmm. or a little bit like a cord board for a telephone exchange oh, very if cool. people are that old. Mm -hmm. And so that's a very reliable uh, interface from an electrical connection. But also because it's actually a very lightweight unit, it means that that's also the mechanical mounting for the, for the light on the wall as well. 
So an installer can turn around and actually go put these jacks in, and Just then plug them in. people can plug them in. Mm -hmm. They've got different um, cows on them so that they can change them around. Mm -hmm. They rotate so they can actually project the, the light up the wall, and it winds up becoming uh, quite an interactive piece on right. the wall. I think uh, in one of the pictures here, it feels to me like it's just waiting to have a Pepsi logo going and going to put on it because of because of the curved shape. Yeah, there. exactly. But um, let's hope it doesn't turn blue and red immediately. But it, but it's uh, but it's uh, it is Maybe a very Pepsi. subtle subtly white series of the Pepsi logo. Yeah, exactly. Maybe Pepsi will have to get involved. Well, look, I'm, <laughs> I'm sure the guys at Bright Green would love to have a call uh, from Pepsi, but we'll see what happens there. So Tim, we've got three our nine projects and we've spoken a lot about how do you make things for people? How mm -hmm. do you make sure that it's actually the user's need that's been put to the fore mm -hmm. rather than just thinking about what somebody was trying to make as a statement? Right. It's been fantastic. You've been, you know, I think when we started this, you might have had a little bit of trepidation, but I see that you've got through it. You're going, hey, look. Yeah, I'm all right. I think I made it. You think you've made it. Well, actually, I think you've done more than made it. You've excelled, which has been fantastic. And I can't do this without having a fellow design giant coming and sitting down with me and chewing some fat about some projects. So thank you very well, much. I appreciate it, Mark. Thanks for having me. Now, I've got a little bit of a wrap-up that I do because... The Driven by Design community doesn't exist if we don't have great designers and also people who are driven by design who are part of the community there. Definitely. In particular, the team at uh, Acumen, Leia, Bagan Olufsen, and also Bright Green, you know, they support us in a huge way and I'm really appreciative of that. But also the listeners who are going in looking at the projects, they're rating them, they're posting them on social media, they're giving us feedback. Without that community input, we don't have... a you know, what we've got. So um, thank you everybody who's listening and as always, be driven by design.